0: Here we are in Lemieux's Writers and Artists' Retreat at the Little Chapel to hear the stories from Carrie Eilson of the chapel and its history and the history of this town. So this is Sainte-Marie. St. Mary's, our tiny village chapel. Wow. And do people still pray in here? No, not really. It's not. It's, um, there was one mass here in the 15 years that we've been here. Every year at Christmas, uh, the village sets up a creche. It's usually the mayor's wife or one of the people on the municipal council. And I come in, I show people because I think it's so special. And it people is. from Amuse will come and sit and meditate because it's, it's so, so still. And the acoustics are amazing. Yeah. We've had some musicians record in here. Yeah, I'll bring people in who might want to record songs and... And do you know the history of the church? Like, when was it built? Before being a Christian chapel, the spot is a pagan sacred site. The church itself is probably from about the 1600s or the 16th century, so 1500s or 1600s. But the site is on is a much older pagan site, a sacred site that would have been part of pagan pilgrimage. A lot of the churches and chapels in Europe were placed by the church, by the Christian church, on pagan sites to recruit the pagans um, because it's, it was a necessary part of their life to go on these pilgrimages and, and visit these spots. So there's, you can kind of tell by where the, church, the churches that are placed on ley lines, what direction they're facing, and their date. There's a church also that belongs to La Bastide called Saint-Sernin that is not far from here. It's in the middle of the woods and it's um, in a previously Roman, it was a Roman settlement, mm-hmm. and the piece of, there's a huge slab of stone, it might be granite, I'm not sure, it doesn't seem like granite, but a huge slab of stone that's used as the altar in the chapel, but previously was the altar to the huntress, to Diana, that was used by the Romans. So, And um, what's the church up the hill with the graveyard? I know it's the most Recent ones weren't that old, they were like 1920 and things like that, when people had died. Oh, the the cemetery is much older than that though. The church is called Saint-André, and it I'm not sure in what incarnation, (laughs) it's actually been there since before this village. The original village was at Saint-André, and in, in France it's very unusual to see a church and cemetery separate from a village. So it, it's thought that the original village was up there at the church, and that this was actually a fort, it's probably from very early medieval, maybe late 900s. And that in the Middle Ages, in the late Middle Ages, a family from Bologna came, Les Mariscotti, and they took over the fort. But if you look at our house, which would have been the fort, it's on a rock overlooking a river access to the village was from the river, so it was a good lookout. The mayor, the, mayore, the town hall there has those slits where they could have shot arrows from, it was also a good lookout, and they believed that that might have been originally, you know, a dungeon. And eventually, because when the family came and moved in, they would have, over time, employed the villagers, who probably part of their, was probably a room and board situation, So when they went to work in the fields, they would have come home to the fort which had by then sort of turned into this chateau or manor house and over time the whole village ended up being employed by that family and they moved from the village near the church down to what is now the village here. Any yeah, other it tidbits? Was that family, that, after <laughs> you know, one or two hundred years, had their own family chapel, which is this. This was the private chapel that belonged to the family that owned our house, and the tiny private school was in the house that we're living in now. Mm. Um, and there's an interesting. If you look at the names of the streets, there's a street called Rue du Pas which is the Pas Regal, the Regal Step, oh. and it's it was named as such, because uh, Saint Louis, which was I think Louis the Ninth, I'll let you get the bell. So it rings twice. That's four o'clock. Okay. And it rings twice so that when the people are out, you know, all these hundreds of years working in the fields, they'll miss the first time yeah. ring it rings. Catch part But they'll know it's ringing, and they'll stop, and they'll wait. And the second time it uh, but the So King Louis IX or Saint Louis came to La Bastide and touched his foot down on the street just above the village there, which is now named Royal Step. And the reason he was here was actually to give a thorn from Christ's crown to the church in Roquefair. <laughs> and from that time until quite recently, there was an annual mass for the Holy Thorn, the Mass de la Sainte Epine. So That's interesting, and then the name of our village, La Bastide spa berenc is actually kind of debated. People don't really know what it means. But there are different theories. The first interesting thing about the name is that unlike all of the other villages in our area, it does not have cabardes attached to it. So, Mas cabardes, Pradel cabardes, Uh, Miraval Cabardes, all of these Cubservies Cabardes, they all have Cabardes attached to it because you know, long, long, long ago, they were all vassals to the sire de Cabardes, who was in Las Tour. The interesting thing about La Bastille was that it was direct property of the king of France for some reason. It was not part of the Cabardes and there was no vassal. It was direct property of the kings. So in the name espar Berin, there are different theories. There's one theory that it means um, the fortress, the scary fortress, because they think espar par could be peur So Es is something that you know, it's scary. bar is like a baraque, which is a military fortress. The other theory is that it's um, linked to the word Espar- Espervier, pervier Esparvier, which is a falconry. It's like a falcon nest and there are no falcons here now because um, maybe a generation ago they planted pine forests and then sprayed against pests and killed all of the falcons but until that time it was an area where there were a lot of falcons and falcons would nest it's a kind of falcon that nested in cliffs and in the facades of rocks so it actually if you think of the description of an épervier and the location and look of la bastide it's it's nesting in, in the rock face. So Mary is connected to the name of the chapel, is that there are, there are lots of Saint Mary's in the area. And when you come into this chapel, one of the things that's so striking about it is that instead of seeing Jesus on the cross at the time of the crucifixion, you see Mary praying peacefully, right above the altar, a big statue of Mary. And Mary does figure very prominently in a lot of the churches around here. And it's because when, after the crucifixion, uh, the Marys, which were actually a religious sect, and the Marys were of a certain level within that religious practice, and they all wore blue robes, they were cast out to sea. Um, And in their boat was Pontius Pilate's wife, Sarah, who opposed the crucifixion of Jesus, and she was Egyptian also in the boat was believed to be um, some of Christ's children, descendants of Christ. And they actually, because of the assistance and instruction of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a seafarer who had, I think, set up Glastonbury and therefore knew Europe and access to Europe, he, he taught them how to find land, and they did. And they washed ashore in Provence, in the Camargue, in a village that is now called Les Saintes Marie de la Mer, Holy Marys of the Sea. And in that church is Sarah, Pontius Pilate's wife, whose body is preserved, and you can go to her crypt and peek in at her. And that's the reason there's a festival every year, still, in Les Sainte Marie de la Mer for gypsies, <clears throat> because Sarah was Egyptian, and gypsy Egypt, it, their, their roots are with Sarah, <coughs> she was believed to be. Their equivalent of a saint. So, and from there, the Marys then taught the true teachings of Christ in opposition to and separation from the Christian followers who were the disciples who recorded the their version of Christianity in the Bible. And the so the cult of Mary or the influence of Mary, which included Mary Magdalene as Jesus's partner, collaborator, wife, lover, leader, everything. Um, can be seen too in the region. There's a lot more of Mary Magdalene here than in other Catholic or Christian faith traditions, which is interesting. There are, it's also interesting to see how in a lot of these tiny chapels there's symbolism of reincarnation, which isn't typically now part of Christian faith or, from what I know, the Bible. Um, but it was earlier. It's been, I think, removed, but originally reincarnation was part of the picture. And you see in stained glass or in carvings and sometimes wrought iron um, symbols representing reincarnation. And skull and crossbones, which you don't see. And you see Mary nursing Jesus, so you see her breast holding a baby. Which all, all that gives a very feminine, well, p- powerful, natural feeling. And so though catharism comes from... Eastern Europe. Uh, the Cathars, the Cathar faith was a religion here during the Middle Ages. They came from Eastern Europe, but it had a lot of the same echoes of the true teachings of Christ or the early teachings of Christ, where it was much more about kindness and generosity, humility. There wasn't the need for a monument, a translator. It was very much celebrated outside and more in harmony with nature. So it was also a little bit more in tune with Pagan, not, you know, pre-Christian. So they think that that was one of the other reasons, these similarities. The Cathar faith was very popular in this area during the Middle Ages because of its location close to the Mediterranean. And in the South, this area was very, very open, it was very collaborative. It was a flourishing cultural center where people spoke more than one language. They were largely more literate than other parts of the population. They simply weren't accustomed to war the way the, way the more northern cultures were. And because the, there was a lot of wealth here, the nobles who were sort of progressive thought, well, why should I pay money to the church when it doesn't really fit the culture of the place I live in or my own beliefs? And they stopped paying ties to the church. And as a result, the Catholic, well, the Christian, Christianity, the Christian church joined forces with the king, and, and that was what created the Albigens and Crusade that started in Albi, which isn't far from here. My notions of history are also not always accurate. First of all, a lot of it is word of mouth, and they say all the time, on dit, on dit, on mean They yeah. say, they say, they say. Mm-hmm. And then I think together you weave together historical fiction, you read, and you use your own imagination, and you kind of come up with what works best. That's what's so interesting about oral histories, I think. None of this is written down in one cohesive volume, to my knowledge. That's the tradition of the podcast. That's the tradition. It's an oral tradition. Tying it all together. And I think it's interesting to mix up the details. (laughs) Especially if they're juicy. You can come
1: up with some fabulous
0: stories. So, yeah, the, the, Cathar, the, the Cathar Inquisition led, uh, you know, it lasted for hundreds of years, and it led a deep scar, I think, to the culture of the area. Just, I think that there may be traces of the paranoia and the, you know, deep hurt and suspicion and feelings of betrayal from that period of time that might still... And that's like 1200, right? Yeah. With, there, there were charters for Bastide towns, too, at that time, right? Like Côte social. Was one of yeah. the ones that had a charter because they're like, we need to have somebody up on the hill to look. Yeah. So if you'll build a well, we'll give you tax breaks to live up here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All <laughs> kinds of interesting deals uh, going on at that time. So uh, was Sarah? Sarah was darker skinned, was it? She was because so she was Egyptian, and um, she was. I was mistaken earlier. I thought that she was the child of Jesus through an Egyptian woman, but in fact, she was the wife of Pontius Pilate. But I also sense. read through some other, you know, local history that that Jesus had had a wife who was Egyptian, and that's why I confused the two. Mm-hmm. But they people around here will tell you that not only were the Marys and the those, you know, teachers of the early teachings of Christ here in this area, um, and there were Cathars here in this area also. The Cathar faith was interesting in that it uh, it really didn't. It didn't want to have impurities with the body. It was only supposed to be spiritual. I think that they were, from what I've heard, they, the other thing that was interesting about that was that you didn't have to practice that way your whole life. That was more for you could the, do the it perfects. Later. And you could decide, a perfect would come along at the end of your life and be like, okay, let's purify you now. And so if someone was dying, they would then, they would fast until death. And um, so you could kind of there. It was. A, it wasn't as harsh. There weren't a lot of punishments in the life of a Cathar. If they didn't follow the path of perfection, becoming a perfect in their lifetime, they were. They always, you know, had a chance at the end. <laughs> <laughs> right?